Come with me now on a journey back in time. Imagine being there in Babylon, watching this drama unfold. Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship we thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, 
If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, Weren't there three men that I tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Nebuchadnezzar, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than service, serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces 
and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It would be great to keep your Bible open as we look at this passage together. And we did put together a kid's sheet, uh, if there are kids in the room uh, who would find that helpful. Excuse me. <coughs> Uh, it's a bit of a harder kid sheet, actually, so uh, as you travel home after, see how they went with it. But let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, I pray that my words might be a faithful representation of your word now, that we might understand your will for us more clearly and serve you with strength and conviction. Amen. Often when we talk about what it means to be a Christian, we focus on the benefits. So we talk about uh, the joy of our salvation and the confidence that we have in Christ and how God's word is a guide to our feet and, and a guide to a better life. But that positivity is challenged when we suffer. Uh, when bad things happen to us, when we become unwell, uh, then we really are often... Uh, you know, start to question God. What's God doing in this situation? And how we respond is a reflection and somewhat of a, of a diagnosis of the genuineness of our faith. But I think even more confronting than even simply suffering being thrust upon us is when we choose to stand in harm's way. When we actually have a conscious choice between safety and standing up for Christ, and we choose to stand up for Christ. And across history and in many parts of the world right now, that is a choice potentially between life and death. And that's certainly the choice that we see in our passage today. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego can bow down to an idol and continue to live their life of privilege, or they can stand by their commitment to God and face an inevitable and horrific death. And the choice they make and the choices we make when it comes to our commitment to Christ really come down to a matter of conviction. Am I so convinced of this? Do I believe this so deeply that I'm willing to suffer for it? So our account today begins with Nebuchadnezzar building a massive idol. Uh, so this thing is about 27 metres high and 3 metres wide. So very, very tall and very, very narrow. Uh, but I'm sure it had a quality plinth. Uh, but in the context of, of this passage, it seems a little out of place because at the end of last week, you know, Nebuchadnezzar declared to Daniel... Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you are able to reveal this mystery. And of course, that's in response to Daniel explaining his dream. Uh, but now we're literally just a few verses later, and here he is setting up an idol for himself. Uh, now, time-wise, we don't know, you know sort of where this fits and how much time has passed between these to events. But as we hear these words, his declaration to Daniel, we see this idol, it does look like a bit of a contradiction. Uh, but in the world of Nebuchadnezzar, there were a whole lot of gods. In fact, the Israelites were considered a little bit odd for only believing in one God. And so for Nebuchadnezzar to have another idol and still 
acknowledge the God of Israel wasn't that strange. But he still didn't recognize that the God of Israel was the one and only true God. But whatever he's thinking, he builds this whopping big statue and he makes a decree. Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the hort, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, historians tell us, and we see a little bit of a hint of it in these opening words, that often this type of idol worship worked on a number of different levels. So Babylon was made up of a whole stack of conquered nations, and they all came with their own cultures and religious beliefs. And so forcing all the people to worship this Babylonian idol uh, was one way of the king reaffirming his own power and dominion over the people. But it also forced everyone to make a very public declaration of loyalty. And if everyone else is declaring their loyalty, then that makes it that much more tempting and easier for you to declare your loyalty. And if everyone starts to do that, then we get a sense of social conformity and social cohesion. And so what starts out as something that is forced becomes accepted. And then if people start to prosper under Babylonian rule, then it can even move from accepted to embrace. Uh, but it starts with force and fear. Now, in many respects, uh, if you know anything of, of some more modern history, this was China's cultural revolution under Mao Zedong. So in 1966, uh, he did this huge movement across China, and the thinking was, if we're going to progress, then we need to destroy the four olds. So old customs, old cultures, old habits, and old ideas. And in amongst that was old religions. And as a result, millions of people died in the name of social unity and conformity. And I feel, uh, and this is where it gets a little more risky, but I, I feel we're starting to see some of those parallels creeping into Australian culture. Uh, in our context, persecution isn't so much uh, physical violence, although it does happen, and it doesn't usually start with the government. Uh, more often, it's a groundswell movement, and the persecution comes in the form of social vilification or financial conversion. Uh, coercion. You know, if you don't conform, we won't associate with you, uh, we won't employ you, we won't buy things from you. And it becomes morally right in this rhetoric to persecute people who we perceive to be morally wrong in the name of unity and tolerance and diversity. Uh, and that's a problem for us as Christians because increasingly our values are out of step with the values of our culture. I think the pointy end for us right now in Australia is sexuality generally uh, and homosexuality and gender more specifically. And what we've seen, and we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. We saw it in Brisbane uh, with the Christian School and the current conversation around the uh, Religious Freedom Bill. Uh, now we know the real issue of conflict isn't values. Uh, the real issue is the Lordship of Jesus, and we want to win people to. Christ, uh, we're not trying to win people to 
Christian sexual ethics. But for the most part, our culture wants to talk about values and ethics. <coughs> now, as a generalisation, I think the message of our culture is we need to end guilt and shame. And, and no one should feel guilt and shame around sex. Uh, because what we do is natural and therefore good, uh, presuming it's consensual. And so the way we want to relieve guilt and shame on a, on a cultural level, I think, is to affirm and endorse. As Christians, uh, we recognise that we all have behaviours that come from a deep internal desire. Uh, from our perspective, they're natural. And some of that is part of our innate uh, personality. Uh, some of it is the result of our experience and environment. And so we, we know that all of, we all have natural feelings, but not all of our natural feelings are good. And so the way we deal with guilt and shame and sin as Christians is not so much with affirmation, but by pointing people to God's love and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and the freedom that comes with forgiveness and our new identity in Christ. Now, they are two very different responses to sin and guilt and shame. And for those who are observing this, it's not enough to say, you know, well, these are our Christian values, but we understand they're not your values. And it's not enough to say, well, I disagree with your values, but I still care for you and I still respect you. Uh, the only acceptable answer uh, is unqualified endorsement. Uh, they want us to say uh, that the God that they don't believe in uh, endorses whatever consensual sexual desire they choose. And if we don't, well, then we're contributing to a harmful society. And so there's a real pressure uh, for us to conform to this culture around us. Now, I don't think it's the only issue uh, that Christians are facing, but it certainly seems to be one that is before us more and more. And certainly our situation isn't half as dire as what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are facing uh, as they literally stand before a fiery furnace. But there is that pressure to bow down and there is that pressure to conform. And so it's tempting for us uh, just to want to keep our head down and go with the crowd. Uh, at very least, let's not put it up over the rampart and get it shot off. Uh, so we just if we fit in and blend in, then life will be a lot easier. And it was certainly tempting for the Israelites who were in exile. Uh, they were in exile, life clearly wasn't perfect, but it also wasn't bad. Uh, there were lots of things they could do to prosper in exile. And so for them, there was a choice. Do you bow down uh, and, and simply conform to society and continue to live a pretty good life? Or do you throw it all away in the name of honouring God? Now, surely God would understand. And what's the good of honour uh, if you are dead? Uh, what good things could you do uh, if you continue to live in Babylon? You can imagine all of those temptations. Uh, in Acts 4, we see a similar choice. Uh, this time it's between or with Peter and John before the religious authorities. And this was our, our first reading. So... Pick up, picking up the end of the account. Then they called them in and again commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking 
about what we have seen and heard. You know, now Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, all encouraged, uh, encourage us as Christians to submit to authority. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, who was writing during this period of the exile, said, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So we should, as Christians, be known as good citizens. Uh, but there are going to be times when we're put in an irreconcilable position, uh, where we have to make a choice between honouring God or honouring man and our society. And for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, this is their moment of truth. Uh, they refuse to bow down. Uh, then they get dobbed into the king by the astrologers. Yeah, good one. Uh, and then the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, gives them a, a second chance. So we've got one final opportunity. If you're ready to fall down and worship, the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? And they turn around and they say, well, funny you mention God. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So there's this unwavering confidence uh, that God can save them, that actually God will save them in this situation. But that's not actually the biggest point. The biggest point is that whatever God chooses to to do, whether he saves them or doesn't save them, they will not bow down and worship this image. And from a a storyteller perspective, this account just gets better and better. You know, these uh, three young men have defied the king, not just once, but twice. And now the, the king is furious, he's absolutely outraged. And so, you know, he calls for the, the furnace to be you know, heated seven times hotter. I don't know how you measure seven times hotter, um, but you get the point, right? It's really, really hot. Uh, it's so hot, in fact, the guards that are sort of escorting them up to, you know, tip them in uh, die because of the heat. Uh, but eventually, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into this blazing furnace. And then there's this moment of anticipation. Uh, Will God actually save them in this moment? And just when we think it's all over, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and what does he see? Four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looked like the son of the gods. You know, no God could save them from this furnace. No God could interpret his dream. Uh, but here they are, uh, walking around unharmed. And completely unexpectedly for us, with a fourth person. Uh, it's often suggested that this uh, fourth person is Jesus. Uh, that might be true, uh, but there's actually no real evidence in the passage. Uh, certainly in Daniel 7, a few chapters later, we're going to read about the Son of Man uh, who comes before the Ancient of Days. So there is a link to Jesus in Daniel. But I don't think this is it. Uh, The most we can say in this situation is that God is with them, uh, God is comforting them, God is rescuing them, and so he sent this person, this angel, uh, to be with them. And so finally we come to this great vindication. 
uh, where Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. So if you're a Jewish person hearing this account, uh, then the message is pretty clear. God is the only true God who's worthy of honour and glory. Uh, God has not abandoned his people. And even in exile, God is saving and protecting. He's saving Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the blazing furnace. He's protecting Israel from the other conquered nations around them who might seek to persecute them for their trust in God. Um, but this salvation event is actually just a glimpse of God's bigger plans for salvation. You know, these guys have been saved. Uh, Israel have been spared and they're protected. But eventually, of course, uh, we all die. Uh, they all die. Uh, so the salvation event of the Bible is really what happens at the cross. So if you think this is dramatic, uh, well, it's really just a taster of what's to come. Uh, in the words of Jesus, and the most famous words of Jesus, perhaps, uh, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now God in his mercy uh, chose to allow his son to die in our place to save us from our sin. Uh, that's just not, you know, it's not just about saving us from our circumstances or a particular situation. It's not just saving us from being persecuted. <coughs> Excuse me, from being persecuted. Yeah, it's much bigger that than that. It's a salvation for eternity. It's a salvation that's motivated by his love for us and it restores our relationship with him. Now Paul is very clear uh, when he says to Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and as much as we hate suffering, uh, suffering actually isn't all bad. Uh, so again, in the words of Paul, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So we stand up for Christ. Uh, we might lose our job and we might not actually get a better job. Uh, if we stand up for Christ, we might lose friendships and we might not find better friendships. Uh, God does not promise to spare us from the brokenness of our world. Uh, but he does promise to hold on to us. Uh, and whatever we go through in the present is nothing compared to what our hope is for the future. So again, from the book of Romans, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither anything in the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Now, life might be hard, and there might not be any short-term solution, but our salvation is secure. Uh, and when we honour God and when we, we bring God honour as we stand up in the world, then we are standing by our commitment to Christ. Uh, and that's who we should be. That's who we've been called to be. 
uh, as we follow Jesus. Uh, of course, we need to do that in a way that is God-honouring. Uh, getting angry at an angry world uh, isn't going to honour God. Uh, to honour God in the face of persecution is going to mean things like, to pick up again the words of Jesus, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Or from Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I think we've seen that behaviour modelled in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Uh, they have actually respected the king. They've refused to submit, but they have respected. And I pray that we will have that same clarity of conviction. Uh, that we might be so confident about who we are in Christ and so confident of his love for us and our salvation uh, that we are prepared to stand in harm's way, uh, that we are prepared to endure persecution, uh, but to endure it with a sense of conviction and grace. And so let me pray uh, that we might do that. Dear Lord, so often we feel weak and powerless in the face of opposition. Lord, through your Spirit, give us a clarity and conviction and a courage that will help us to honour you in the face of persecution. Help us to love those who hate us and to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in your Son. Amen. Uh, Murray Gordon will be preaching on the theme, Two Kings, Two Parts, or I think the alternative is, uh, title is Two Ways to Live, I think, as we uh, continue our series in the book of Daniel. Um, unfortunately, we, we won't be able to have morning tea together, uh, but let's uh, finish off our formal time together with uh, the grace. Yep, the words are there. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Amen. Have a great one.